Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel this week, which includes Jorna Taylor. Jorna is a political consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Yeah, that's right. We're not we're not recording our usual Thursday morning. It's Wednesday afternoon as we record, just so you're aware. And our other panelists includes Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. So, Robert, uh, Robert's still in the morning mode. Anyways, well, as we go forward here, we have been talking here at the battleground a bit about the implosion of Governor Walker's campaign and sort of the unique opportunity it potentially presents for progressives here in Wisconsin. And so today we have another special guest to continue that conversation. And our special guest is Ruth Conniff. And Ruth is the editor-in-chief of the Progressive Magazine. And I think most of our listeners are very familiar with that monthly magazine that does intense investigative reporting and political commentary on progressive issues. Ruth, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Ruth, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, just we want to start by getting your thoughts a little bit on the Walker campaign implosion and, and, and then moving quickly to sort of the opportunities that, that um, him being back and being, quite frankly, very unpopular at the moment provides for us as a progressive movement. So, obviously, we'd love to get your thoughts. Well, you know, I just got an email from a friend who's out of the country saying, you know, we're also glad to hear that Walker has uh, imploded. And, you know, I don't know how much celebrating we can really do. I mean, the guy who's really been destroying our state was laughed off the national stage, right? So what does that mean for us? I mean, he was very successful in doing some really um, dramatic bad things to Wisconsin, and a million active citizens who signed recall petitions couldn't get rid of him, and it turns out that Donald Trump could dismiss him with a couple of offhand insults. So, I mean, it's a, it's a peculiar political moment for uh, Republicans, for Wisconsin, and for the whole country. And I think Walker is, in some ways, a victim of uh, the politics that, that he rode to power. You know, he, a lot of the way that he built his political career was out of the support of right-wing talk radio guys in Milwaukee who are really explicitly racist and, you know, pushing a, a kind of dog whistle, uh, racially antagonistic politics with policies like drug testing people who receive unemployment benefits or, or food stamps, with voter ID, with, you know, just with what are subtly but clearly race-based race appeals to white voters. And then he ran into Donald Trump, who calls immigrants rapists, you know, and he was, you know, using a bullhorn to drown out that dog whistle. So I think that's part of what happened is that uh, as unpleasant as that part of Walker's career was and his appeal, uh, it turns out that there's an even more unpleasant and louder version of that that drowned him out. Uh, he was never quite ready. Uh, he was. N he made a lot of missteps talking about foreign policy. You know, comparing the protesters to ISIS. Uh, you know, there was a sort of mocking column in the New York Times by Frank Brunei talking about how he was out to bust unions on every level. It, you know, his, one of his last ditch efforts was talking about busting federal employee unions, and you know, sort of a joke about how he would go out and try to bust unions all over the world. Uh, it just wasn't. It was sort of small bore politics that turned out on a national stage, even though it was very dramatic in Wisconsin when he 
set out to break public employee unions. So, uh, so now he's back. He's unpopular. People are beginning to feel the effects of his policies. Some of those policies were always unpopular, uh, but you know he was able to push them through because there are a lot of Republicans in our state legislature who are between a rock and a hard place. They have donors who really want to see uh, some of these policies, like. Uh, breaking up our public school system and giving the money to parents who have their kids in private school and always have had their kids in private school. Uh, that's not popular in their home districts, but the school choice lobby is one of the single largest and wealthiest lobbies in our state. Uh, so we'll see now whether citizens can get organized uh, to defend some of our key values in some of the areas where Walker's been the worst and, and his colleagues in the legislature have been the worst, and we can begin to turn our politics around, but it's going to take some time just to undo the damage of the Walker era. So, Ruth, this is our Robert. Let me follow up on one of your thoughts. I thought it was very interesting what you said about dog whistle racism versus overt racism, because a lot of us have been talking about the coded racial appeals, which are deniable and what kind of power they have to divide and conquer, as Walker put it, in terms of unions. It's really interesting what you said, that Trump seems to have shown that a large part of the Republican constituency in, in primary states actually finds more appealing direct articulated racism as opposed to the coded variety. Yeah, the problem is the Republicans need to hold together this fragile coalition of people whose interests are not the least bit aligned. They've got social conservatives and, uh, you know, some angry, disaffected voters who are suffering from a lot of economic insecurity and to whom, a, you know, a, an appeal, a racist appeal that's really scapegoating people uh, for economic anxiety, is, you know, that sounds great. Uh, and then they've, they've got the donor class, the Koch brothers and the, uh, the corporations and the multimillionaires who want large tax cuts, which don't benefit that other group whatsoever. And so it's always been a peculiar, fragile coalition. And you see that again and again in election after election, that somehow they can put together this coalition, they can win, uh, but it's, there's always a lot of fault lines and they're dangerous fault lines. So, you know, I think what we see with Trump is he's going all in on, you know, the, the racist appeal and freaking out the Republican Party establishment because they know in a general election they cannot win that way. Ruth, this is Jorna. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you, don't, you don't think it's just that the Donald has better hair than Walker getting whacked by the uh, cabinet, right, on his bald spot? Um, but in all seriousness, uh, I... I was just up at a conference in Minneapolis uh, last week, and you know, I know that we all in this room, and that you've heard this too. People from out of state are that are not necessarily as connected to politics directly, or or people in the state who are not as connected to politics as directly as we are, are kind of like, oh yeah, this is a great victory for Wisconsin that now Scott Walker has shown on a national stage that he's not ready for prime time or that voters are not ready for his draconian policies. Um, and now he's back in Wisconsin. And so clearly we have defeated this mammoth monster. But instead, I think that's a really dangerous perspective to take at Scott Walker because what did he do the basically the first week that he was back in the state? He attacked public employees once again in the civil service service um, sector. So uh, I guess I'm interested in your thoughts of what you think his next steps are going to be. Well, I think his next step in about 45 minutes is going to be to <laughs> assemble the government 
government accountability board yes. and replace it with a partisan board, which will be deadlocked, and so we won't be able to monitor ethics and politics in the state anymore. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think there's any indication that Walker's politics are going to be moderated by his experience of, you know, failing as a presidential candidate, uh, and I think it may be good for progressives that Walker's not utterly triumphant with his politics and that there's some room to talk about what's wrong with the message and the and the policies um, that that's that's possible but I do I totally agree with you that overall having the the bully who beat on our state rejected at the national level doesn't really mean a lot of relief for our state. And um, I think, however, that it's a good idea. And I, you know, I think the theme of this podcast is, you know, I think you're right. Like, we need to see opportunities. We need to grab opportunities uh, for progressive politics. And it, it may be an opportunity to say, you know, this guy failed. Let's look at what he really stands for. And let's talk about why those policies have been a failure in Wisconsin. And why, in truth, they're not, they're not actually popular. You know, the key, besides dog whistle racism, the key to Walker's rise was divide and conquer, as Robert said, and it was telling people not, I'm going to make the state better, I'm going to offer you something better. Instead, it was, I'm going to take away benefits from public employees. I'm going to make sure that teachers don't have pension or fully funded health care uh, because you don't have that. And it turned out that that was a very cynical and, and grim but effective approach to politics, just turning people against each other and saying, you know, if I'm suffering, you should be suffering. And we really have to start looking at what Trump pointed out, which is that that was a lousy way to steward the economy, that Wisconsin's not doing well, and so we need to have a more hopeful and optimistic message in which we try to actually offer people something. You mentioned uh, before that like his policies didn't really go over well, or certainly got him no traction, and, and John Nichols mentioned this um, in the presidential, and I think that does open up a new, because there was sort of this sense that he pitched that he was speaking for the unspoken, right? You know, he was speaking for this, the, the old silent majority, and that his election victories in off-year elections was somehow, uh, you know, an affirmation of what he was doing. I think this sort of takes some of that away and allows, you know, people to not think that this is a bulletproof person, that he actually, his policies are not as popular. And, and you point out, weren't very popular the first time around, but he was able to run as, you know, I'm being picked on. And certainly the recall was able to make it a broader case uh, that he was being picked on as opposed to the one issue. So, and, and the polling continues to show that he's as unpopular as he's ever been. So, to that, you've mentioned we have talked already that he is back on the attack. What you know? What do you see that progressives ought to be doing to take advantage potentially of this opportunity where the public can you know continues to see that the economic situation is not getting better? He can't continue to just say, "Oh, it's going to turn around." Um, your thoughts on where the, where those avenues might be? Well, I think we need to talk about what we value and what we want to nurture in Wisconsin and in our country. And I think those um, public institutions that Walker has attacked are actually quite popular. And I think the public schools are a good example of that. I think in every community, people have their local schools, and they, they function in different areas as a community center, uh, as a point of pride, especially in small towns all over Wisconsin and the northern and western parts of the state where the schools are on the edge because of lower enrollment and uh, in tight funding. People 
the, the entire town is based around the school. It's a Friday night football game. It's the mascot for the town. It's the place that really organizes the community. And they don't want to lose their schools, you know. So I think we need to talk about, you know, what does it mean that we are not only making the deepest cuts to education funding in history, we're siphoning money out of our public schools. And with the voucher expansion in Wisconsin, into mostly the hands of people who never even put their kids in those public schools, just a straight-up subsidy for private school tuition. We need to talk about, you know, what are our priorities and what do we really value? And the Republican brand now, both in Wisconsin and nationally, is this immensely destructive message. You know, government doesn't work. Nothing works. Let's blow it up. I mean, you look at the speaker, the House speaker battle going on right now, and we'll see what the result of that is. But it's really, uh, you know, it's really reached a breaking point, this, com this complete commitment to a dysfunctional government. The leaders of government themselves are saying, we, are not, we don't believe in government. We don't believe that we can offer you anything. We're going to offer you nothing but gridlock and, uh, you know, and failure to, to function. And really, I don't think the majority of people are, are willing to buy into that for very long, particularly when, we, when you talk about things that matter to them on a personal level, on a community level. And, and I think schools are a perfect example of that. We want our schools to work. We want to continue to have our schools. And we really aren't willing to just blow up this whole system. You know, you mentioned, obviously, public education. Robert mentioned that he thought, when we were talking with John, that that would be a huge area where Walker would probably go after. I, could you talk a little bit more about, I know the progressive has been sort of on the front, on getting out front of looking at the privatization of public schools. Could you talk a little bit more about some of the some of your work around that and, and certainly make our listeners aware of the wonderful resource that you guys have around starting to get out front of that issue? Because it's probably going to become very important. Yeah, so we started a project called Public School Shakedown to monitor the attack on public education, the effort to suck public funds out of public schools and hand them over to private entities. And the reason we launched this project was because of what was happening in Wisconsin, because right after the attack on public employee unions in Wisconsin and the huge historic protests around the Capitol, the next most dramatic political event in this state was the very controversial, very unpopular efforts by our legislature to expand the privatization of public schools. So we, in Wisconsin and Milwaukee, were the first place in the nation to try uh, turning public education funds into cash vouchers, just handing a voucher to students and letting them spend that money wherever they want, taking it out of the public schools. That's an experiment that's been running in Milwaukee for 25 years, and the results are lousy. I've visited some of those schools. I've visited some schools that were in rundown office buildings, in former car dealerships, in uh, strip malls, where it's amazing how poor both the physical facility is and the complete lack of accountability. There's no curriculum requirement. Uh, there's some very harsh religious indoctrination programming going on. There are teachers who are not required to have any kind of qualification other than be working towards a BA in something. Uh, it's really, it's pretty dramatic and appalling to see that we're sending kids to these strip mall 
quote-unquote schools and calling it a public education where they're learning creationism, for example. I saw an eighth-grade science class where creationism was the curriculum. So, you know, this, we need to get the word out about this. Uh, it's happening in Wisconsin. We're now expanding the school voucher program, as I mentioned before, over the objections of the constituents of the legislators who voted for it statewide, and that's going to suck a lot of money out of our public schools. Um, and this is going on across the country. Across the country, we see uh, a move towards less accountability, less democratic control of public education, more money going into private hands with some very mixed results. And so at the Progressive, we've gathered a bunch of people all over the United States to report in on this issue. And we have these public education fellows who are writing from every corner of the United States about what's going on in their area. So we're writing about uh, the large movement to opt out of standardized tests and what's called test and punish, where schools are closed, uh, teachers are fired, or funding is withdrawn when you don't hit a certain cut score in standardized tests. That's caused a huge movement on both the East and West Coast to, to reject that approach. Uh, you know, a movement for a more enriching vision of education, not this very stripped-down uh, vision that relies heavily on standardized tests, and then the growth of charter school chains that are coming into states and lobbying legislatures and getting bills passed like they have here in Wisconsin to create a statewide charter school district so that they can, again, take this public money uh, out of the public system and, and put it into private hands. So we're talking about all that stuff, uh, and there's a very energized movement across the country. I think people are increasingly aware that there's a threat to even having a public education system in our democracy, and that that's a very serious threat and one that anyone who is a progressive should care about. And they, all of our listeners can see that on your website, right, if they go to progressive.org. Is that right, Ruth? Yep, it's, it's progressive.org is our website, and we feature that public school shakedown project and the education fellows on the homepage. That's fantastic. Let me ask you, uh, moving forward, I know you made some, uh, I think, very pertinent remarks about progressives being clear about what Walker's actually done and what we actually believe in. I think one of the lessons, though, of the Walker years has been that uh, every time you try to get a to plan and settle down and figure out a strategy, Walker changes the context with some gigantic and broad proposal. And I mean, beyond the level of civil service reformer gabs, important as those are, those aren't going to spark uh, as deep an interest, say, as Act 10 did. And I'm wondering, uh, when we had John Nichols on two weeks ago, uh, he agreed that Walker is probably looking for some other big ticket item to reburnish his national credentials for a future run. And if you agree with that, uh, what do you think that might be? John Nichols thought it might well be further privatization of education because there's so much right-wing money behind that nationally in which you reveal on your website. Um, I have a suspicion that it also might be uh, really regressive tax reform. And the two leading uh, business lobbies, the WMC and the MMAC, are pushing to greatly reduce the personal income tax and increase sales taxes dramatically. Therefore, of course, making it even harder on working people. That's what they're pitching in those listening sessions that the Senate's having, allegedly having, their by invitation only, or an economic development. So do you have thoughts about whether you think uh, big proposals coming from Walker to try to shake things up again and what it might be if you, if you do? Well, I, I mean, I definitely agree that we're facing this school privatization monster and that that is going to continue to be a cause because it is a national cause. I mean, out of Michigan, the DeVos family, Dick and Betsy DeVos, have been, you know, funding the efforts to privatize schools across the country and have weighed in really specifically on how they think Walker is doing with this. And it's an interesting issue, and I think it's similar uh, to other issues like 
tax giveaways to corporations that don't create jobs, in that it's completely contrary to the interests of ordinary voters. Uh, but there's a lot of money behind it. And I think that the opportunity that that opens up for progressives is just to point out to people, you know, what do we value? And to put pressure even on Republican legislators whose constituents don't want these policies but who are under a lot of pressure from lobbyists in the Capitol building uh, to push them through. So I think what, what Walker has done really brilliantly in Wisconsin is to try to turn these issues that are really about enriching the already rich into populist causes. And the way he's done that is to focus resentment on teachers and firefighters. And so the civil service effort is another aspect of that. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see more harsh attacks on programs that serve the poor, low-income people, people of color. Uh, you know, that's, that's the basis of his politics. And I think that's, it not only serves the interests of people who give him money and support his campaigns, but it sort of focuses this re politics of resentment, which is fundamentally what Walker is about and what the Republican Party has become about. So I think we're going to see more of that. So I'm actually looking on your site here, and I see uh, you mentioned uh, the DeVosses. Uh, they're definitely prominently featured on the progressive sites. The, the section on Meet the Bullies, I think that is a very accurate way to describe what we can possibly expect. Um, well, we really want to thank you for taking time to, to join us today and share us your thoughts, and hopefully we can have you on further on down the road uh, on the podcast. We really appreciate it, Ruth. And I don't know if there's anything else you'd want to leave with our listeners about uh, how they can get in touch with The Progressive. Well, we are on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, The Progressive. And we have a Twitter account just for that education project called Progressive Number 4 Ed, Progressive 4 Ed, trying to get the word out that progressives should care about education. Um, and, you know, our, our website is constantly covering all kinds of political issues. Uh, so check us out at progressive.org and subscribe to the magazine. Excellent. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. Well, as usual, it's never never a quiet week here in Wisconsin, so we want to spend a few minutes just talking about some of the topics that are happening, and a few of them came up in our conversation with Ruth, and one of them is GAB um, and the deform or gutting of the Government Accountability Board. As we record this, and as uh, Ruth pointed out, uh, later today the bill is being released at 1 o'clock, and I think most people understand that this is an effort to essentially take a nonpartisan board that uh, is in many ways the envy of the nation and return it to the bad old days where you had partisans who were explicitly partisan in charge of the Government Accountability Board. Jorn, I know you have a, you think this is a wonderful step forward uh, that uh, is coming from the conservatives. I really feel like the party of destroying our rights and democracy has done another bang-up job in introducing this new bill. But Jorn, you haven't even read it yet. It's It hasn't come out yet. Oh, right. right. Okay. Actually we, we have read this has. before. Yeah, yes. we, this, is, this is a common play from their playbook. Look, I mean, while there may have been issues that folks have had with the Government Accountability Board in the past, none of them were due to the GAB being unfair or not trying to help voters and right. candidates with open access to democracy. And so this latest attack on democracy just falls lockstep in line with what the Republicans have been doing in this state for the past, oh, however many years photo ID, gerrymandering our legislative districts, the open records law, kerfuffle, if it, if you will, um, you know, 
all sorts of other things that just take democracy away from the public eye and once again put this overtly horrible partisan spin on what should be a fair and balanced, to use the <coughs> Fox News term, fair and balanced system that is accessible to everybody. And so this is a huge disappointment. We're going to once again become a laughingstock of the nation because we can't even govern our elections fairly. It, it's ridiculous. It's disappointing. But it's going to pass. Yeah, and, and as everybody knows, right, we have full full conservative control, so they can push any of the stuff through. And and the notion that you would do this right out in front of a major presidential election that's going to have you know, a tremendous amount of stress on these processes to begin with. Um, and what, we made this change in 2007, and, you know, it was bipartisan support in a lot of these folks now just because of they're politically unhappy with, um, you know, particularly around John Doe, that we're going to somehow roll all this back, Robert? Well, I mean, what we progressives aren't understanding, you have to, th we're you slow. Have to think... We're very slow-witted. You have to think dullards, actually, regressive I mean. here. That is, if you really think of election laws and think about all of these, these ex-judges of both parties, you know, deciding what's fair, they're really distortions in the political market. I mean, how else are we going to make sure that those who spend the most money on politics mm -hmm. get the policy they paid for? Quality point. It kind of destroys the incentive system. So the market will make sure that those that invest the most, because they're the most moral because they have the most to invest, right? Because they were good Americans. They worked the hardest. They're all Horatio Algiers. They're like people like Ron Johnson who built a business from scratch as a poor boy from a log cabin. No, I'm sorry. I guess he inherited it from his dad. But anyway... Uh, can have the influence they deserve. This one person, one vote stuff, Jorna, and even worse, one woman and one man and one vote. Uh, really, it destroys these, mar these fundamental market principles. So here's our one problem. The public getting taken off from my sarcasm hat, uh, my Jonathan Swift kind of modest proposal kind of, kind of uh, uh, tone. I love when you explain your historical references. Yes. I was going to say, yes. Uh, that hat's getting too big for the table. <laughs> that progr we progressives, and I think I'm talking to progressives, except for some of you media tracker types who are listening in and hoping we say something they can use. Um, so aside from those folks, for, for we progressives, when we send out the alarm bells and put out the press releases about how this is the beginning of kleptocracy and the end of good government, etc., the public's already cynical that anything is possible through government. And so we actually reinforce that, which actually helps conservatives. So the outrage needs to be not just they've taken over our government, it's terrible. It needs to be more about what we're going to do when we take it back and that this gets in the way of other things people want, like access to family-supporting jobs, which are still hemorrhaging out of the state as we speak because there is no strategy whatsoever because the economic policies of the Walker administration are that what is good for Walker ticket CEOs is good for everyone else, which is why remove all of the things that might protect one person, one vote, and interfere with the political market I was just uh, referring to earlier. Well, Robert, you bring up a good point. Uh, I thought that the Republican agenda going forward was going to only consist of legislative initiatives that created jobs. Yeah. No, no. Gives money to corporations that will help us all. And it would be problematic, quoting the head who head of WEAC, David Ahrens, do you know why we don't want to actually require that companies create a net number of jobs, that they don't actually have less jobs when we give them money to create jobs, that they don't actually outsource the jobs? Did you hear what the, his reason is? No, Robert, tell me. We'd be discouraging in innovations like automation. 
and robotics. Well, I know so we lobby should be workers out there for, looking for more robots to take over so your already apparently, therefore, lousy jobs. We should be paying to make sure the corporations are more profitable whether they need workers or not. So there's the economic philosophy. So the point is, we need to point out why are your jobs being outsourced? And not only that, why are we paying with your taxpayer money for companies to outsource jobs? The reason is, quite frankly, because we have an electoral system that is as rigged as our, as our, as our economy and that the only way to do any of these things and to restore opportunity in the United States is to take back our electoral system, take back our democracy, and take back our economy. So, so very simple. Easier said than done, but we need to be understand that's within our power to do that. So the destruction of Gab or the gutting of Gab, or as Robert said, we shouldn't be using such, uh, such language, but um, obviously going after Gab is not the only thing that is on the agenda this week. Um, civil service, it was mentioned in our conversation with Ruth, Another goes, interference in the market. Yes. and They and, should be able to hire whoever they want, regardless of how the, their, their qualifications or what exams they've passed or not passed. I mean, look, for people who are just a little unclear as to how dangerous this bill is, just imagine that database that whether you sign the recall or not is being the first check when you apply for a job that goes through the filter system as to, whoop, uh, we don't need that person, right? Um, look, there's a long, there's a good reason why we have civil service protections and why we protect people beyond, you know, union rights. It's one of the things Wisconsin contributed during the progressive that's right. era. That's right. And so this continues to be under attack. We'll, we'll continue to watch it. And of course, the fact that this was done, you know, on the same time that Marty Beal passed, um, it's worth pointing out uh, that that happened last Friday. And we Certainly want to pass our condolences on to all the brothers and sisters and AFSCME and, and, and people in the broader labor movement who Marty, of course, was critical to. But, you know, this this bill going after, you know, during that week, it uh, I don't know if folks saw, but uh, Representative Mandela Barnes has a new bill out uh, called uh, that he's calling the Marty bill that would actually enshrine and protect these civil services. I'm um, but that's exactly where we ought to be moving. But, uh, but certainly this continues to, to be another, on the Republican agenda. It's another interference in the market, Matt. And, and you think about it, if you look at uh, you know, right, right-minded policy innovations like WEDEC, for example, right? WEDEC is semi-private. And all, you know, we might not have all those great leaders at WEDEC that created all those jobs if they're been civil service requirements. Just bear that in mind. If they'd had to pass civil service tests, we wouldn't have gotten the Reed Halls and all the other people who have led us into the promised land by creating a utopia in Wisconsin. Unfortunately, the voters across the country, when that talking point were used by Governor Walker, even right-wing voters across the country don't think Wisconsin is a land of milk and honey. So there is another issue that has come up this week that we want to make sure our listeners are aware of. And, and Jorna, I'm going to ask you to sort of take the lead on this. But um, it looks like um, GOP lawmakers in particular, let's call them out, Representative Kramer and uh, Representative Nas are proposing that school boards require designated bathrooms and locker rooms for being one gender exclusively. Jorna, please help me with this. Why? Why? <laughs> why? 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 I don't know. This is disgusting. Yeah. This is for everybody who celebrated the gay marriage ruling and that said that love is love and love has won. Um, we 
clearly have such a long, long way to go because the last time I checked, it is LGBT, the T being transgender, and that this is the next front and has been the next front of attacks coming on transgender people from the right it, that they don't that they don't see them as actual humans with any sort of rights in our society. Um, I'm on the Milwaukee Pride Board of Directors, which is the organization which throws Pride Fest every year, and and if folks. Um, have ever been to Pride Fest, it's one of those places where we really want people to feel safe and to be able to express their individuality, obviously in a safe and productive manner. Um, and so we have a policy of not policing people's gender and not policing their bathroom preferences. You know, it's it's conservatives capitalizing on this irrational fear. They're fear mongering. And and let's be very clear. They know exactly what they're doing. They're not just being uneducated or ill informed. They're they're using this sort of gross examples of, well, now men are just going to use this as an example to come into women's bathrooms and assault and rape and harass women. When there are so many national organizations that have proven time and again through studies that there is no evidence that supports that whatsoever. And so rather than get you know bogged down in those sorts of talking points, we as a society have to do better. And I am so proud to be on the Pride board and to stand with my brothers and sisters in the transgender community to fight back against these sort of attacks on human rights. Look, this, this is not a political issue to me. This is about equality. This is about how we treat each other. And if we can't be civil enough to one another to understand where people are coming from and that this is not something that you wake up one day and say, hey, I feel more comfortable as a male or a female, and so I'm just going to go use that bathroom. Um, I don't have any use for you in my life. Yeah, look, this is one of the most shameful pieces of legislation we've seen this year for sure. And, and, and Jorna, all the things that you said, and, and this goes back to, Ruth brought it up, where it's the politics of really getting people to hate other people. Mm -hmm. um, what's most insidious about this is, um, that this is aimed at students and young people who are already going through incredibly difficult situations trying to figure all of this stuff out, whether you're gay, straight, or anything. High school grades growing up is an incredibly difficult time, and that this bill would be so mean-spirited and aimed at some people. And let's face it, you mentioned the T, right, transgender. What could be more challenging than a transgender youth trying to figure that out? And that these jerks, bullies, would go in and, and try to do this for political gain is appalling, um, especially when we know that school districts, anyone who spent any time looking at this, school districts are trying to actually deal with this in a way that deals with the particulars of anyone's situation, right, since um, these are, th this is a difficult, and this is just unbelievably awful, awful bill, and we definitely need to make sure folks are aware about it. Well, it's bigotry, pure and simple, number one, and it's political exploitation, pure and simple, one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, and here's the thing, right? What people who want to exploit prejudice politically want to do is they want to stay just ahead of the curve of social evolution. So in other words, they can't attack gay marriage vectorly anymore, so what's the next thing? Oh, it's transgendered people, and let's do it in the high school, so let's do it to the most vulnerable people who have very high suicide rates, for example, and let's exploit that. And let's say, you know, let's let's imagine this is like the song they sang at the beginning of All in the Family. Remember, uh, uh, and you knew you who, who you were then, girls were girls and men were men. It's that kind of stuff. 
Well, it's it's I think very telling that you cite the suicide rate. Um, this this bill is very specifically targeting a population that is already um, at a very high rate. You know, we lost another transgender student in Madison. I believe it was early last week from bullying. Um, in our public schools. And so I would invite folks to observe Spirit Day next week, um, Thursday, October 15th, which is I would ask that you wear purple in honor of LGBT pride to make a visible statement that you support LGBT youth and that you are against bullying in anywhere, not just in our schools, but against these legislators who are clearly trying to bully our youth and our students. So... We do want to briefly mention something, again, more positive in terms of what what ought we be doing, what progressives ought to be looking to, and we certainly have had those conversations with John and Ruth. The Democrats this week did unveil they, what they think we ought to be talking about. So it's called the Badger Blueprint, and it's really what... They, what we ought to be talking about. And so we'll, talk, we'll be talking more about a number of things that are on that blueprint and things that we think ought to be talking, we ought to be focusing on in the future, on future podcasts. But uh, we'll look forward to that down the road. But anyways, it's, we do think it's important that uh, Democrats get out and start talking about what we ought to be talking about. So, and there are a couple major citizen action agenda items in bet. there. There's both uh, taking the money for Badger Care, where we had a good event with... Uh, number of state representatives and senators, including the Democratic and uh, leaders in both houses last week, and then uh, the bill on rate review that we've been working on with Senator Larson and Representative Colsty is also part of the Badger blueprint and for health insurance rates. Health insurance rates, just so folks are aware. So again, we'll, we'll be looking at some of those more in future podcasts. But with that, we want to bring this to a close by doing our furloughs. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Get us rolling, Robert. Come on. Well, What's going you know, on? Our the Citizen Action member uh, organizing cooperative is having an all a meeting not just for cooperative members but all members on Saturday, and so at ten thirty at the uh, WIAC uh, Uniserve office in Brookfield. So Brian will of course in the podcast notice uh, provide a link to that if anyone is interested in coming down and live in the Milwaukee area and hearing what's going on with our new uh, deeper form of democracy, member owners uh, deciding what we're going to do to change Wisconsin. Okay, so it's now noon and the event is over. What are you doing the rest of the weekend, Robert? Well, I get to see part of the uh, uh, Pitt, uh, Virginia football right. game. Oh, okay. I've not checked the weather, so I don't know about uh, the uh, weather. weather. <laughs> about whether I can, it's good writing weather oh, or not. Always good writing uh, Okay, weather. We're, we're told by Paul Schaefer, I mean Brian Woolridge, <laughs> that it's going to be nice. So maybe I'll induce my more athletic uh, nephew, there Elijah, go. to go on All a ride right. with me. Now we're rolling. Jorna! Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. What's going on? Um, well, I will be spending a little bit of time with my new horse, Reno. Reno. George and is George. pissed off. That's he's what I, not, George he is living the... He called me this week. He's and fatter than fat, and he's living the high life doing nothing. Because he refuses to jump. <laughs> he refuses which, to do a lot of things. If you're a jumper horse, that's not, it's not good. the way to stay um, employed. But on Saturday night, I plan to, and I'm hoping that you'll be joining me, uh, Matt oh, and yeah? Bonnie, for Biketoberfest. You took mine ah, yes yes oh, biketoberfest which is a pub yes, crawl of the is. south side at night on your bike it is very fun and shenanigans always ensue and then on sunday i will be uh at the milwaukee pride board of directors meeting well i 
absolutely am going to be doing Bike yes. Trailer Fest. In fact, Bonnie and I have a date night. <gasps> We're getting a hotel Saturday night. We're leaving the kids. I'm not. Yep, I'm only going to go on the first part of your no date. No dirt. Par- <laughs> That's correct. That's all you're allowed to attend. But yes, uh, Bike Toberfest is going to be our our event for the uh, yes. for the night. We're super excited. We weren't sure which weekend it was going to be, and it fell on a non racing weekend. So we're very excited Woo-hoo! about that. So yes, uh, date night with Bonnie. And with that, we are going to bring this podcast to a close. We want to thank Ruth Conniff and encourage folks to check out the Progressive site. And uh, we will see everybody, and including, of course, we have to thank Brian Wilrich, our producer, or Paul Schaefer, as Robert calls it, for making the podcast happen every week. And we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.